Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join the search for the living Christ in Scripture and our lives. I am Adam Erickson, writer at the Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. And I am Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for the Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. This is episode 16 for the first Sunday of Lent. Today, we discuss Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and we use the Common Lectionary. And because we use the Common Lectionary, Lindsay, we are moving into Lent. Well, we moved into Lent the last episode with Ash Wednesday, but this is the first Sunday of Lent. The first Sunday of Lent. Yes. Woohoo. Yay yeah. for Lent. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the last episode, you convinced me that we will celebrate Lent, that awesome. Lent is a time to celebrate. And so, you know, you really did a good job convincing me. So why, I am celebrating why this Lenten on, season. Why on earth did I say that Lent was a time of celebration? Because God is with us in the oh. ashes. That is what you said. But but I also, you know, that doesn't seem like something that is something to be glad about. It still doesn't seem like a celebration kind of thing. Like, woohoo, we're in the ashes together. It is really hard to be in the ashes. It is really it is, hard. It is really hard to be in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's that's where Jesus is today. But I'm celebrating because because repentance, which we are called to do, especially during Lent, and always, but very particularly during Lent, is about reorienting our lives from the knowledge that we are loved. And that is very good news. And that is a perspective that can move us forward into joy. And it moves us through the very difficult work of taking a sober look at what we are doing that might hurt others in this world. And the hard work of change, when we start from the perspective that we are loved, that really changes everything and makes everything possible. And so that's why I am rejoicing this Lenten season. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about rejoicing until you talked about it last week. So I want to thank you again for that. Awesome. How about uh, how about we get into it? The temptation of Jesus in the desert, just to set this up, Jesus, right before he goes into the desert, is baptized. And God says to Jesus, uh, you are my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Yes, it is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Lindsay, why do you think that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? That's such a good question. I mean, and... Jesus, Jesus prays that God, the Spirit, will not lead us into temptation in the mm -hmm. Lord's Prayer. But here, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, leads him right into the heart of temptation. Yes. <laughs> yes, that happens. You know, I... I I spent a good deal of time thinking about what each temptation might mean and everything, but why he goes into temptation in the first place is not something I considered very much in preparation for this discussion. I'm not really sure why, except that in every almost every spiritual tradition and you look into non monotheistic traditions they're there too there is a at the beginning of your journey there's an initiation into into something into the bigger journey that you're going mm -hmm. into right and Rene Girard talks about this uh in in his work too and you see it in you know modern cinema with uh, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker goes in, has to be tested before going into the journey, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there's there's something about that in here where you discover yourself amidst all the temptations of the world. Maybe you have to do a little bit of that work before you really take on the journey. It's like the, the pre-journey to the bigger yeah. journey that you're going on. To yeah. kind of do some like self-discovery. And maybe the only place that you can really do that is in a desert or wilderness-like experience. Like, you know, Israel uh, has mm -hmm. to do this, has to go on a similar journey, the 40 years in the in the desert. 
Mm. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to think about when it comes to a test that we need to undergo in order to find out who we really are. It also occurs to me though that yes, Jesus teaches us to be to pray, not to be led into temptation, but you know, the thing is when we go to be in solidarity with those who are suffering, temptation will come. There will be there will be temptation. I mean, first of all, if we have any privilege at all and we want to put ourselves in solidarity with those who have less privilege, and the purpose of that would be to develop an understanding in order ultimately to change the idea of privilege altogether, to transform privilege into universal rights that we can all enjoy. But the temptation, if we have privilege, when we go and stay in solidarity with those who have less, well, first there's a temptation to get out of there, to, to not be in solidarity, to, to leave when, when we've had enough. There may be another temptation to violence, to overthrowing the system violently. You know, there could, there could be all sorts of temptations. And before Jesus faces the tempter, the devil, the, the one who whispers in his ear all of these good possibilities, he puts himself in solidarity with the suffering by starving his body. He's starving. He's in the wilderness, he has no shelter, he's exposed to the elements. I mean, there's there's really not a way to survive 40 days with nothing in the desert except by God's grace. So Jesus is really, really putting himself in God's hands through this process. And that kind of situation will will strain us to the point where we feel all kinds of temptations anyway. So that's my thought about that, that that Jesus has put himself in a position of temptation by putting himself in solidarity with people who are suffering. Even if he's not among them, he is suffering to a point out in the wilderness and therefore feeling what others who lack food and shelter and possibly human comfort are feeling. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the first temptation comes when Jesus has been out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and the story says he was famished. I mean, he's got to be starving at yeah. this point. I mean, he yeah. is, he, as you say, this is some uh, serious suffering that's going on here. Uh, I think that the the one temptation that runs throughout, and I get this from the great work of James Allison on this, is the little word if, mm -hmm. right? So Jesus mm -hmm. has just been baptized and God comes to Jesus and says, you are my son, the beloved. And then the devil, the tempter, the accuser, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the word for Satan means accuser. Uh, comes to him and says, if you are the son of God. So this is, mm -hmm. this is about identity. 
This is about right. who you are. And one of the things about Lent, the journey of Lent, I think, is is to is to get rid of all of the other messages within our culture, all of the ifs, <laughs> mm-hmm. because they become like like barnacles on a boat for us and they weigh us down. If you are really a beloved child of God, then you have to prove yourself. Exactly. Then, then if you are, then uh, God uh, wouldn't put you in these kinds of situations. And so God is really against you. Well, that's not true at all. Like you are, you already are the beloved child of God. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of temptations in the world for us to not believe it. There are all kinds of, of messages that say, no, you're not, you're not, unless you look a certain way, unless you have a certain amount of money or privilege or, or whatever, then, then you will be a beloved child of God. Uh, but don't believe those lies. That's fake news. Exactly. Exactly. The word. Yeah. The, the last thing he hears is the voice of God telling him that he is loved. And that is what um, he goes into the, his, his personal journey knowing. And that is what sustains him. So the very first word he hears after that, after 40 days of nothing, is if. The little word of doubt, the little word that says you have to prove yourself because without proving it, without showing this to others, without others believing in you, you can't be who you want to be or who you think you are. The, the little word if, it's kind of the opposite of the last word he heard, which is which is beloved, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that helps me understand when Jesus says, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right. And, and that's, it's, you know, there, there are people who are starving and Jesus mm-hmm. is starving in this moment. So what's wrong with making a little, a little bread? Well, it's the, it's the temp, what's really behind this is the temptation to not trust the words of God. The words of God mm-hmm. that always come to you and says nothing but words like you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so like bread is uh, important and Jesus will go on to perform miracles after this with bread, multiplying the fish and the loaves of bread to feed other people. But first he has to go through this temptation because what that, what that miracle is really about is not really just about performing a miracle to make people believe, but about performing a miracle to make, to help people understand that they are loved because right afterwards they say, Hey, do that miracle again. And so then Mm -hmm. they want Jesus to be this, like just this miracle worker. And they miss the point that it's not just about bread. It's about you receiving the love of God and sharing your bread with others. It's about transforming a way of life, a way of being community together. Absolutely. You know, when I first read every word that comes from the mouth of God, you know, when I was when I was younger, when I was hearing them growing up, I used to think that meant obedience to God. 
And I'm not saying it doesn't. Um, what obedience to God is, is living in love. That is what obedience is. It's not about following every single commandment perfectly. Following the commandments is how you show love. But it's not about God punishing you when you fall short. It's not about um, a kind of obedience that makes God's love conditional. It is about knowing you are loved. The every word that comes from the mouth of God, every word that comes from the mouth of God is, I love you. And it's, here's how I love you. Here's how you can love others. All of the commandments, all of the, all of the laws go back to that central message and magnify that message and teach us how to live into it. So, of course, of course, we live by bread. Of course, we live by sustenance in the form of food. I mean, bread is God's, is one of God's words of love. All of creation that we are given are words of love from God. So there's another tradition that I think is important that says that this message is not just about bread, but also about other things that we try to fill ourselves up with that will just leave us empty in the end. So like uh, you try to live by bread alone. Uh, you could also try to live by other addictions alone uh, and use them and try to try to fill you up. You cannot, uh, you know, things like sex are a good thing, but it will not lead you to, it, it can become an addiction. Food mm -hmm. can become an addiction. Um, what other what are you know there are countless things that can become an addiction that we need to they become like barnacles on a ship again right like mm -hmm. they, they will start to weigh us down and lead us away from just receiving what god already has given us which you uh worded so beautifully just then um so what is it in our lives that lead to lead to fullness uh it's not the temporal, uh, material things, as good as those things can be, they can also be incredibly destructive, but it is living by the, by the words of God, as Jesus says. Mm -hmm. So let's mm -hmm. go on to the second one. Yes. The devil took Jesus up to the holy city and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and he will protect you. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What is the temptation here? Well, the temptation is to prove that you are the son of God by a death defying miracle. And what I find amazing about this is that Jesus will go on to do exactly that. Mm. And so our temptation to say it's this miracle that makes Jesus the son of God that we have to believe in. And if we don't believe we are condemned, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the exact wrong way to think about it because here Jesus is is saying it's not it's not a test it's not a feat it's not a it's not a miracle of proof you know it's you know the the crucifixion and resurrection cannot be reduced to a mere proof miracle Jesus is telling us this right now and I really 
um, feel like uh, a lot of Christian interpretation has gotten this very wrong, or at least has not done a very good job of uh, pointing us away from this. You know, the resurrection is not about this is a miracle to prove it to you. It's about love truly does overcome death and you are truly, truly loved. And so you need not fear death. What can you do from that knowledge? The possibilities are endless. I mean, the, well, the, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because um, when the devil says, uh, God will command angels concerning you and on their hands will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. It, it's that's the we talked to many weeks ago about the deus ex machina, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I still Close. can't pronounce it right. Uh, but uh, this is that this is the idea of that God is going to protect you no matter what happens from death. And that's just not the kind of God that we get. Right. I mean, right. The, the kind of God that we get, Jesus says over and over again. And after this temptation, I mean, this this wilderness experience is to test Jesus, to get him to know who he is at the core of his being, which is a beloved child of God, so that he can move towards the cross. I mean, that's where Lent mm -hmm. is going to take us right up to Good Friday. Yes. And, thank, and as you say, thank God death does not have the last word resurrection does uh but god is not going to save us from the cross right right i mean these words can be really devastating to people who are suffering if they're taken to mean if you really believe god will protect you from suffering i mean what a slap in the face to the very people that Jesus came to be in solidarity with and teaches us to be in solidarity with. And of course, we suffer too. And God is with us. The idea that if God were with you, you would not be suffering. I mean, that's that can be a temptation right there. Uh, a temptation to, to doubt God's presence when we are suffering or a temptation to try not to do anything that will make us suffer, which which really means not have compassion, not have co-suffering for those who are there. I'm just thinking this is really horrible. This is really the devil <laughs> being being just like I mean, of course it's supposed to be horrible, but I hadn't really thought through all the horror. I mean, this is the devil being being the devil. Just pure evil. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's go to the third one because this is just so much fun. Um, okay. <laughs> again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor and said, hey, I'll give this all to you if you just worship me. Right. Uh, this is the temptation to power. Yeah. Yeah. This is the temptation to power. And it's also the temptation to do good with power i mean it, it's you know it can be it can be so easy to say oh i won't be tempted by that kind of 
megalomaniacal glory that would just put me above everyone else. I mean, it's easy to say that. I think if that were really within our grasp, we actually would be tempted by it. But it's a lot harder to walk away from a potential opportunity to do the kind of good we want to do in the world if that opportunity comes with price of worshiping the devil. And worshiping the devil doesn't just mean like calling God by the wrong name. It, it means living as the devil would have us live. I think we got to talk about what the devil actually is. Um. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think that you're onto something really important there because the Satan, the word Satan means accuser. And so if Jesus is going to, because, because here's the weird thing about this last temptation is that Jesus is full of power, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Jesus is, does end up being called the, the savior of the world, the Lord of the world, uh, mm -hmm. the King, right? So he does end up getting this, what, what the, what Satan is tempting him into anyway. But as you say, he doesn't, that the methods matter. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> and this is so important for us to understand that when you start following Satan, and all I mean by that is following in the footsteps of accusation, when you use power, whether it's political or religious or whatever kind of power, and you start dividing the world into us against them, good guys and bad guys, and you start pointing the finger at different people, then you are starting to follow in the ways of Satan. Now, now there's something very, also very important is that we need to hold people accountable. There is in Girardian circles, a temptation to scapegoat the scapegoaters mm. or accuse the accusers. But what is the difference between uh, holding people accountable who are using power in this very destructive way and accusing them, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the spirit in, in which you're doing it, I suppose. But you, there has to be a way in which we hold one another accountable, not in so much of an accusatory or, hey, I got you kind of way, but in a way that that just simply holds us accountable to something bigger, a bigger vision than just using accusations against one another. Definitely. I've just been thinking and writing about exactly that, about compassionate accountability. And I think the way to hold ourselves and each other accountable is to begin from the premise that accusation would have us doubt in the first place. To begin from the premise that we are loved, that we are made in the image of love, and that what is really true to our natures, despite all the things that might try to hide it or draw us away from it, is love. So we hold each other accountable by recognizing that we are better than the pain we cause each other. And first of all, we have to say to ourselves, I know I can do better. I mean, we have to look at the log in our own eyes because one of the things about accusation is that 
when we're pointing fingers, we tend to forget how easy it is for us to do the same thing. I think that's the, that's the first thing. And the, and the second thing is saying to ourselves and each other, we can do better. Yeah. I believe in you and that's why you can do better. Not, I hate you, you're terrible, you can't do better, so we're going to get rid of you. I mean, that's there's a there's a huge difference there. Yes, yes, and I think that I I as you're talking about it, the thing that comes to my mind is uh, not only are we tempted the the big if right, not mm-hmm. only are we tempted uh, to think, well, if I am the if I am a beloved child of God, we're also tempted to think if our political opponents are the mm-hmm. sons of God, get rid of the if, just say our political opponents, our religious opponents, whoever it may be are also children of God. And how do I treat them in that way as well? Yeah. Because the the if is always the temptation, whether it's us or someone else, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. the if is always the temptation. No, we all belong. We all belong in this. Yeah. We we have to start from that premise. Yeah, from that premise, uh, then we can start holding one another, as you say, compassionately accountable as best best we can. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus is going to quote Hosea twice and say, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because the kind of power that rules the world until the transformation to the kingdom, to the realm of God, to the community of God, until that transformation is complete, what rules the world is is this principle of sacrifice of they're just some bad people that we have to get rid of, whether that's killing or expulsion or incarceration or, or um, you know, they're just some people that we have to either get rid of or at the very least teach a lesson to. And when we start thinking like that, we need a lesson as much as anyone else. We need to remember that we are all together in the embrace of love. That doesn't mean we won't slip up, make mistakes, and we'll need to hold each other accountable, but we have to do that from from the starting point of love. Yes, exactly. And then at the end, Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. And apparently Satan just leaves for a while. Mm -hmm. Comes back a little later in the person of Peter when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we are all in some aspect. I think this is so important. We are all in some aspect like Peter. We are all in some aspect like Satan. (laughs) Yes. Right. Stumbling blocks and accusers against one another. And I think that like owning that, uh, seeing how we get caught up in the satanic pattern is a good way for us to forgive others who also get caught up in it. And also a good way for us to uh, hold ourselves and others gently accountable for it. So um, that, the Satan figure is just so fascinating as it mm-hmm. develops throughout the, the Gospels. And then Satan leaves, and then uh, angels come suddenly and wait on Jesus. You're not alone in this wilderness experience. The angels are with you. And the word for angels in 
in Greek is also can be translated as messengers of God. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you believe in angels, uh, literal angels, fantastic, good for you. If you don't believe in literal angels flying around and taking care of you, there are messengers, other people mm -hmm. uh, on this journey with you. And maybe there's a little bit of both in that message there that angels and messengers are here lifting us up and encouraging us as we go through the Lenten journey mm -hmm. in the desert. And the message that the messengers bring is you are loved. That is the message that waits on Jesus that that builds him up again after all of this. Amen. And uh, I just heard one of your messengers, your dog. <laughs> nicely done. Good timing there, because I think that we are ready to put this episode to a close. So thank you, Mitzi. Thank you, Adam. Uh, the, the messenger is uh, still speaking. So. Yes, yes. Uh, so everybody, that is it for this episode of Jesus Unmasked. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies because Jesus calls us to love.